When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who remember who we are. I am Hannah Leach, a writer, musician, audio producer, and ultra fan of He Lives in You from the Broadway production of The Lion King. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and (laughs) player of pocket frogs. I will explain that in a second. We are the sister duo, also known as Two Pink Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 1994's The Lion King. You're all connected in the great circle of life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture, The Lion King. He was born to rule. This will all be mine? Everything the light touches. But a shadow lies over the kingdom. I will be king. Run away and never return. If you ever come back, we'll kill you! Hey, kid, what's in you? I don't want to talk about it. He looks blue. I'd say brownish gold. No, no, no. I mean, he's depressed. Anything we can do? Not unless you can change the past. He grew up hoping to leave his old life behind. I know who you are. You're Mufasa's boy. You're the king. King? Have you got your lions crossed? You know my father? Correction. I know your father. He died a long time ago. Nope. Wrong again. (laughs) He's alive. And I'll show him to you. Father? You are my son. And the one true king. You see, he lives in you. You must take your place in the circle of life. Simba! It's a legendary tale filled with excitement. (laughs) Plus dozens of wonderful new characters. Why don't we have to save your ah! And featuring original music and songs by Grammy winner Elton John and Academy Award winner Tim Rice. Walt Disney Pictures presents an entertainment event you'll never forget. Hello. Hi. 
So let me explain what I just said in the intro. When we're recording this yesterday, we did a Discord session with some listeners for our third anniversary of doing this podcast. And we played some games. We played this. I did, Somehow, I neither of us have ever played this before, but there is a Bratz Babies <laughs> fish tank game that has a very intricate um, premise, I feel like. Yes, it's a complicated game. And then um, our sound mixer, Sean, I think was the one who brought it up, or maybe he was just contributing to the conversation about the iOS game pocket frogs which (laughs) i used to play on my like ipod touch in like 2012 like i really really forgot about this game but you like breed frogs and they're really cute similar to how you breed the fish you breed the frogs (laughs) and it was just a really funny time it was really fun. Josh found a way to stream Barbie Sparkling Ice Show at the very last second. So now that we have that system worked out, we'll definitely do some more like easy streaming. I'm a pretty real gamer at this point, I fear. So I could do some more streaming in that channel. Yeah. So join the channel. Otherwise, you're not going to know when it's happening. And you're not going to know about the renaissance of Pocket Frogs. And that's unfortunate for you. Okay, so we have a very special guest back today. We have our friends from Regal here to talk about The Lion King because the movie is being re-released. So if you love a nostalgic watch and if you're listening to this podcast, that is you. Here's our conversation with our new friend from Regal. Welcome to the pod, our new friend, Tiara. Hello. Hi. So excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. So we were told that you are a very significant fan of The Lion King. Is that true? Yes. Avid Lion King fan. I had to basically stop telling all of my family members to stop buying me Lion King stuff like two years ago. So, <laughs> so oh my God. And I am and much older than what I should be with receiving Lion King themed gifts. So <laughs> yeah, it very much is like a part of my personality. I love the movie. So big fan. I was not technically alive when it came out, so I did not see it in theaters. <laughs> Um, technically technically just technical (laughs) if we're getting technical Um, I just always I remember watching it as a kid probably from like my sister having it or something and I don't know it just from that moment I was just absolutely obsessed I was obsessed with lions I was obsessed with the music I was obsessed with Disney and animation and everything just to begin with and Mm -hmm. I'm actually a graphic designer at Regal so it kind of started my inspiration of getting into illustration and design and characters and all of that stuff. So it was a very inspirational movie for me as a, at a young age. And it kind of just carried on throughout the rest of my life as being just my favorite movie. Just anytime someone asks me, it's just like, that's resonated with me the most. So I always just am like, yeah, definitely. Lion King's my favorite movie by far. Do you have like a favorite piece of Lion King memorabilia you've been given over the years? So I have this giant stuffed Simba, which it, it just healed my inner child, honestly. Uh-huh. 
So I would like, I would say, even though I'm like a full adult, <laughs> that was probably my favorite one is just the giant, anything plush. I love lions. So yeah. anything like that was really fun for me to get. So it's still hard for me to like pass the Disney store and not want to like run in and buy a Simba. So <laughs> yeah. Are you a Leo? I'm not. I'm a Libra, but okay. I've always been jealous of Leos just because they can claim that. <laughs> I'm a Leo, so I, I oh, can claim it, but I, I wish I could give it to you because <laughs> I love a lion, but I don't think I love a lion the way you love a lion. Right. I yeah. don't think most people love a lion. It's the way I love a lion. It must get weird, but like, yeah. Do you have a favorite character? Yes, I go back and forth. I definitely would say Simbo was my favorite. Just like the iconic lion, you know, mm-hmm. the big mane, everything. Loved him, loved his story. But <laughs> Nala also, being a woman, loved Nala. Beyonce played her in the live action. True. Like, who? how can you not? So it was the first 40X movie I saw was the live action remake of Lion King. And I absolutely loved it. It was like the whole end scene with the 40X, it, like you literally get rained on while Simba's dramatically yeah. walking up Pride Rock. And I was like, I am here. I am living in Pride Rock. This is my moment. So it was, it was great with that experience for sure. But Wait, what other, what other immersive elements were a part of that experience? Wind. There's like wind. Oh. There's wind, there is like the motion seat. So like, you know, the scene where the big elephants and I just can't wait to be king with like big stomping. Like you're literally like being stomped. (laughs) You're quaking. Yeah. Yes, you are quaking. Like everything, it's it's fantastic. And when Zazu flies, you're flying with them. So like it it was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's why I kind of asked this at the beginning, but like when this movie came up for us to do an episode on, Josh was like, Oh, like mm-hmm. Tierra loves the Lion King. Like she needs to do it. So yeah. like, so people yeah. like know this about you. Like, are you externally a yes. Lion King fan? Like, <laughs> well, to be fair, we're working in the movie business. The question, what's your favorite movie comes up quite a lot. We yeah. actually, that's how we like introduce a new employee. We like, anytime we get a new employee on our floor you stand up in front of the group and the last question we ask is all right what's your favorite movie and I've actually been to like a new employee go a couple times just for different positions and I've had to stand up in a group of many adults many a time and say my favorite movie is Lion King and I'm still standing by it so so I think that's also why people like know is it kind of like sticks with you when a Mm -hmm. 20 something year old gets up and is like Absolutely. <laughs> okay, that makes so. sense. I can only assume that you're going to see The Lion King re-released in theaters immediately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. The second it comes out, I am going and I'm like probably bringing my giant Simba plush with me, getting him a seat as well. <laughs> we're going to have the best time ever. So yeah, that'll be out on September 29th. Not to say anything, but it also is my birthday. So I think we can do um, <laughs> Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, when, literally, whenever I found out what day it was coming out, I was like, it's it's just meant to be. Meant to be. So, <laughs> so I will be at Regal, watching Lion King with Simba on my birthday and having the best time. And I think everyone else should too. It's going to be a blast. And if you've seen that and you saw, you know, Beauty and the Beast or one of the other ones, it's two movies and it pays for itself to get unlimited. So unlimited is a very good offer. If you love movies, it's just a convenience at this point. So we're going to be there. And I'm so happy 
that you get to celebrate your birthday in style, <laughs> such a personal yes. style. That's beautiful. Yes. Love it. Well, yes. we'll have to have you back. This was so fun. <laughs> Yes, I've never done anything like this before. And honestly, I feel like it was great. (laughs) I loved hanging out with you guys. Yeah, no one would ever know. Okay, before we get into the facts, um, I just have to make sure that I point out that I'm intentionally wearing my leopard print blouse for this episode. I used to have like a cheetah coat. Do you remember that? It was like 2017. I don't know what possessed me to get that, but I mean, she had rocked a it. Now it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into the facts about The Lion King. The Lion King was released in theaters on June 15th, 1994 and was rated G. Okay, synopses. So the IMDb one is the same as the Letterboxd one. And it is a young lion prince is cast out of his pride by his cruel uncle who claims he killed his father. While the uncle rules with an iron paw, the prince grows up beyond the savannah, living by a philosophy. No worries for the rest of your days. Shouldn't they have just put Hakuna Matata? But when his past comes to haunt him, the young prince must decide his fate. Will he remain an outcast or face his demons and become what he needs to be? Why don't they just, this is poorly written, and become (laughs) a king. (laughs) Thank you. And then the Rotten Tomatoes one. This Disney animated feature follows the adventures of the young lion Simba, the heir of his father, Mufasa. Simba's wicked uncle, Scar, plots to usurp Mufasa's throne by luring father and son into a stampede of wildebeests. But Simba escapes and only Mufasa is killed. Simba returns as an adult to take back his homeland from Scar with the help of his friends Timon and Pumbaa. Okay, I can't wait to talk about the actual story of this because it's kind of a weird plot. Taglines... The first one is the greatest adventure of all is finding our place in the circle of life. And the second one is the circle of life. Okay, so The Lion King was directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff, who are very much like some men in the thick of the Disney Renaissance. They also worked on Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Little Mermaid. The screenplay was written by three people, Irene Mecki, Jonathan Roberts, and Linda Wolverton, all names we have heard before. Irene is known for her work on Strange. Magic, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, and she wrote the teleplay for Peter Pan Live on NBC. So she is responsible in part for that production. She also wrote on the TV show spinoff for Hercules and like contributed in part to the directed home video sequels of both of those movies. Jonathan Roberts shares a lot of credits with Irene, but notably wrote the screenplay for the James and the Giant Peach, uh, like Tim Burton produced one. And then Linda Wolverton is another Disney girly, but she wrote the screenplay for Beauty and the Beast, the live action adaptation of like the Maleficent. It was the Angelina Jolie Maleficent movie and the screenplays for the Tim Burton Alice CGI monstrosity films. And then music-wise, I thought that it was worth mentioning that the music is composed and produced by Hans Zimmer and Elton John. So, like, the score is Hans Zimmer and, like, the pop songs are Elton John, including The Circle of Life and, like, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, those. But if you have watched movies at all in the past, like, 25 years, you 
have definitely heard the music of Hans Zimmer. So just a sampling of music he has been involved in. We have The Simpsons, The Crown, Spider-Man No Way Home, Pirates of the Caribbean, Inception, The Dark Knight, Iron Man. He, he provided the piano playing in The Holiday, which I thought was funny. Curious George, Mission Impossible 2, Thelma and Louise, Driving Miss Daisy. He's had his little fingers up and everything. Okay, and now this cast. So there's a lot of people in this movie, obviously. I also think that this movie's relationship to race is really interesting, and I think we'll get into that more later, but it's like very notable, like who is played by a white person and who is played by a black person. We have Matthew Broderick as adult Simba. He's Leo in The Producers, the David hell? in War Games, and obviously Ferris Bueller in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That whole topic reminds me too, like the difference between going to see the Broadway show and watching the yes. movie in terms of like respect to culture. Is, yeah. It's like so different. Yeah, totally. Like when you go see the Broadway show and it's like, it's still Disney, but it's like deep African like music and references. You're the like, cast is correct. Yeah, like it could have gone this hard. But then we have Jonathan Taylor Thomas as young Simba. He was in 179 episodes of Home Improvement, Tom and Huck, and he was the voice of that really, he was the voice of Pinocchio and that really creepy Pinocchio. And then we have Nikita Kalame Harris as young Nala. She had like a couple little credits, but like nothing that rang a bell to me. And then we have Moira Kelly as Nala. She was a regular on One Tree Hill. She was also in Twin Peaks and The Cutting Edge. Then we have Jeremy Irons as Scar. He's from Dead Ringers, Assassin's Creed, Batman versus Superman. And then like just from our little pocket of culture, he was in the Pink Panther 2, the Dungeons and Dragons movie. And he also is in the Poseidon's Fury theme park video thing. He's one of the voices in that really weird experience in Universal, if you know what I'm talking about. Then we have James Earl Jones as Mufasa, a very famous actor of the stage and screen and of voice acting and voiceovers. He has a very distinctive voice. So he was in Field of Dreams, The Hunt for Red October. He's the voice of Darth Vader. I thought this was funny. He recorded a video called James Earl Jones Reads the Bible, King James Version. He was also in Click and has just done a lot of culturally significant voiceovers, which I think is really cool. Then we have Whoopi Goldberg as Shenzi the Hyena. And we all know who Whoopi Goldberg is. She's Whoopi Goldberg. She didn't even put on a voice for this. I know. (laughs) I know. It's like just Whoopi Goldberg talking. It's really funny. Then we have Rowan Atkinson as Zazu, aka Mr. Bean, and the villain in the Scooby-Doo live-action movies. Then we have Robert Guillaume as Rafiki. He was a regular on the TV show Benson. He was also in Lean on Me. And also I discovered something really interesting, which is that there was a Broadway revival of Guys and Dolls in 1976. And it was an all-Black revival. And all of the music was rearranged in a Motown style. And he was Nathan Detroit in that revival. And I'm so sad that there isn't like a pro taping of that show because I'm sure that it was amazing and I'm sad that I can't see it. Okay, next we have Nathan Lane as Timon. 
He's also known for The Birdcage, Mouse Hunt, Modern Family, Teacher's Pet. He was in that one episode of Sex in the City where everyone thinks that he is gay, but then he's actually married to a woman that they're friends with. He's also in George and Martha. And he was in the 2017 version of Angels in America. And I just love Angels in America, so shout out to him. Then we have Ernie Sabella as Pumbaa. He really is just Pumbaa. That is his main accomplishment as a voice actor. But I did discover some funny things in his IMDb credits, which is that there were a lot of really weird, like, PSA-type productions involving Timon and Pumbaa. And one of them was called Wild About Safety. Timon and Pumbaa, Safety, Smart, Healthy, and Fit. And it is what it sounds like. But I did think it was funny that in all of those spinoffs, it was like Ernie was playing Pumbaa and someone else was playing Timon, which makes sense. Okay, and then there's just two more people that I wanted to include, even though they aren't huge characters. One of them is Mage Sinclair. She was the voice of Sarabi, who was one of the few other, like, audibly black characters in the movie. When I saw her picture on IMDb, I was like, oh, this is a this is a notable woman. So she was in Coming to America. She was also in Trapper John MD. She was in Gabriel's Fire. And she also was on one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation as a relative of Jordi LaForge, a.k.a. LeVar Burton, a.k.a. Reading Rainbow host. She's beautiful. And then lastly, we have this man, Frank Wilker. He was credited as Lion Roars. <laughs> And so I just wanted to look into his career. It turns out that he was the voice of Fred in Scooby-Doo in like all the animated versions. And here's just like a little quote from his IMDb. His broad spectrum of character voices, noises, and other vocal effects that have appeared over the last 40 years in motion pictures have vaulted him to number one on the all-time top 100 stars at the box office list. The revenue of films he has participated in have generated over $12 billion worldwide. Very generous, like, PR write-up of his career, but I appreciate it. Okay, budget. The budget for Lion King was $45 million. Opening weekend was $1,586,753. Domestic made $422,783,777. But worldwide, it has made $968,511,805. And much more with all the associated yeah. product. Yes, one of the most famous movies, I think, of our time. The critic score was 93%, and the critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is emotionally stirring, richly drawn, and beautifully animated. The Lion King is a pride within Disney's pantheon of classic family films. Do you think that's supposed to be a pun? Definitely. Pride. <laughs> Roger Ebert gave it 3.5 stars. That's kind of, okay. It's kind of- I know. Sassy. Um, he said, some of the musical comedy numbers break the mood, although with the exception of Circle of Life and Hakuna Matata, the songs in The Lion King are not as memorable as those in The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Basically, what we have here is a drama with comedy occasionally lifting the mood. The result is a surprising seriousness. <laughs> this isn't the mindless romp with cute animals that the ads might lead you to expect. Although the movie may be frightening and depressing to the very young, I think it's possible 
positive that the Lion King deals with real issues. By processing life's realities and stories, children can prepare themselves for more difficult lessons later on. That feels valid to me. I think he got it correct. Yeah. For Common Sense Media, I was kind of surprised they only gave it four out of five stars, but that's what they did. And they said the movie was appropriate for ages six and over. They said... Musical King of the Beasts blockbuster is powerful, comma, scary. Parents need to know that The Lion King is considered one of Disney's greatest animated musicals, but it does have some scary moments. The most disturbing violence is the death of Simba's father, Mufasa, by a stampede of wildebeests. The bloodthirsty hyenas who scavenge for food and threaten Simba and his friends are also frightening. But despite a few sad sequences and a few evil characters, the overall message is one of hope, love, and family responsibility. Note, the movie was re-released in 3D in 2011, which added to the intensity of the more frightening scenes. Do you think this Regal re-release is going to add to the intensity of the more frightening scenes? (laughs) Maybe it'll be in 4D. And then their review of the movie was... One of Disney's biggest hits, this excellent film has echoes of Shakespeare, bringing to mind the plots of both Richard III and Hamlet. The Lion King was not just a movie, but a marketing phenomenon. This blockbuster was the highest grossing film of 1994. Of course, kids won't know or care about that. They'll just be enthralled by the memorable songs and great characters. The scene in which Cub Simba's father, Mufasa, is trampled to death is both sad and genuinely scary, and some of the fights between animals later in the movie can be frightening as well. But the lesson Simba learns, that you have to stand up to your problems instead of running away from them, is a solid one. Families can talk about facing your problems instead of running away from them as Simba does in The Lion King. Why doesn't the idea of Hakuna Matata or no worries always work? Can anyone get through life without a little worry and conflict? Talk about the violence and scariness in this movie. What was the most disturbing part? How would the movie be different without the intense moments? How did music and other factors contribute to the intense scenes? Audience score, 93%. Letterboxd average star rating, 4.2 stars. That's like almost exactly equivalent, I feel like. Yeah. Very even. Okay, audience opinions. Somebody gave it 0.5 stars and said, it's just way too boring. Nothing really happens. I've seen things like this happen in movies. (laughs) Someone gave it five stars. I like the part when Timon said the bug tasted like chicken. Ha ha, how would he know? The rest of the movie was pretty good too. (laughs) How would he know? Uh, Are there chickens in the savannah? No. Definitely not. 4.5 stars. There's a reason it's called Pride Rock, and that reason is called Timon and Pumbaa. And then there's a bunch of rainbow flag emojis. Yes. Okay, somebody gave it five stars and said, anybody that thinks the 2019 version of The Lion King is better than this automatically deserves to get the same treatment as Mufasa, getting trampled by a stampede. I don't know if anybody does think that, though. I don't think so. Definitely not. Which reminds me, before I started watching this, I went and I watched like a couple minutes of like all of the live action remakes, except for Little Mermaid. The way that Will Smith looked in Aladdin was absolutely unacceptable. This last review is kind of long, but apparently they have points and they gave Mm -hmm. it three stars. He's talking about how the animation is beautiful, but... 
when we stop merely looking at it and are forced into a confrontation with the reality that this film has just a truly terrible script, even without dragging in the shockingly blunt pro-monarchist message in which the absence of the legitimate king literally causes climate change, (laughs) the story is a dreary, episodic mess with almost every plot point, and there are very nearly no story beats that aren't lifelessly, mechanically advancing the plot, occurring because a character arbitrarily wandered into exactly the right place at the right time. And those characters, my Christ, (laughs) has a longstanding problem with protagonists who aren't as interesting as the supporting cast, especially the men. And Simba is easily the most insipid one of the 1990s renaissance. He has only the shallowest personality and his interpersonal relationships are stated rather than demonstrated. He also undergoes no meaningful arc and learns nothing. He just kind of gets embarrassed into taking up the mantle of kingship and things become instantaneously fine for him. In this particular case, the supporting cast, especially the characters tasked with the film's irritating reference-oriented comedy, is hardly better. Scar is the only figure in the cast with anything like an inner life, a vivid personality, or recognizable motives. As I've been saying for 25 years now, they were so anxious to make Hamlet with lions that they overlooked how much better they could have made Macbeth with lions. I'd have to think about that one. (laughs) I know. My Christ is really funny. But I do think that the point about people wandering into the right place at the right time is really accurate. Yeah. And it's like, you guys are like, these characters are in the savannah. Like, it's so vast. Yeah. Like if, and they like make a point to show how vast it is. So it's like just really unlikely that they're all going to walk in at the right time. Memories with this movie... I remember that I got the VHS to this movie at the same time that I got the VHS of Beauty and the Beast from Allie. And I definitely watched Beauty and the Beast a lot more, but we did have Hakuna Matata and the Circle of Life on a Disney sing-along songs tape that we watched a decent amount. Yeah, I wasn't into it, guys, I'm going to be honest. Nala is not even close to enough of a character for me to care about. It was a hard sell for me because animals, animated, and about a boy. That's three strikes. That is three strikes for sure. You're done. (laughs) And like violent. Scary, violent, sad, not enough musical numbers. I mean, there's a good amount, but. Animals only, about a boy, and animated really is the the three points that Audrey cannot get past. So no, I can't So too I much. get it. I get it. I think that we had Be Prepared on a, like, CD we would listen to in the car sometimes of, like, Disney hits or something. Do you remember when you saw the Broadway show the first time? It was, like, six months ago. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay, What? Well, tell me your opinion. My respect for The Lion King grew a lot, I would say, after I saw the Broadway show. I know you saw it in like eighth grade, right? On your trip. Yes. Somehow I completely avoided it. I think because it's such a mainstay on Broadway and it has been for decades, I was like, eh, I don't need to see it. 
and I probably wouldn't have seen it, but Hunter's mom came to town and she just like bought tickets for it. So I was yeah. like, amazing. We go, it was like a bunch of like little kids in the audience. It was Aww. very cute. They were yeah. all very excited. And then like the circle of life starts and Hunter and I both were just like sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> We both were just, we just like could, I like couldn't stop my tears. Like it was, it was overwhelmingly beautiful. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) All the little kids are like, hee hee, like look at the puppets. And then Hunter and I are like sobbing. And then (laughs) Hunter's mom wasn't though, because like they didn't grow up with it. Like that music is not really related to their childhood at all. So like they're fine. Audrey's like wiping her tears thinking about (laughs) it. I'm not even crying. And my eyes just started stinging because I was like thinking about Uh, it. But it was so good. I think, um, I mean, it moves hella fast because it is a children's show and they need to keep it moving. But like the opening is great. The song, okay, I like recreationally listen to He Lives in You. It's so good. I'm like, why? It's kind of like, if you're not familiar with it, it's sort of like the climax equivalent of The Circle of Life. It's like a really anthemic song about like, it sort of stands in the place of the scene where Mufasa like shows up and is like, yeah, it's like that. Um, We'll have to put a clip in of it because it goes like, incredibly hard. Yes. It happens multiple times. There's a reprise that fucks me up really, really hard, but it's so good. I think also when I first saw it, I was someone who had only ever seen shows that were like all white people and all like very traditional Broadway songs. And I was like, I was so surprised by what the show was when it started that I was like, oh, like this is like a whole different experience and it slaps. But it at least feels more authentic than you would expect. As fans of the Broadway musical, it's always interesting to go back and look at the source material and just see like what themes are carried through, like how they're matured. I also definitely watched this movie in French class in French, like several times. It's like that kind of movie. We will be right back. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
back <laughs> to talk about the Lion King. You know what line Disney loves to use? What? You deliberately disobeyed me. I was thinking about that too. Because don't they say it in The Little Mermaid? The Little Mermaid 2. I think. I think that King Triton says it also. Yeah. Maybe oh, it's no, a reference. It's a callback. He lives in you. I'm still thinking about that banger from the Broadway show. I got to stay focused. Oh, speaking of singing, this is just a me thing. So you know how in the beginning, the woman singing is like has a very low voice. When I was yeah. a high schooler, I thought that I, I mean, I could sing very low for a high schooler, but I could never sing the beginning of that song. And it was always like, oh, like I'm not really an alto, even though it's like full baritone range. And then yesterday I tried to sing it as I was watching it. I can do it now and it's not even hard. So I'm a woman now. From, it starts there. From oh. the day we arrived on the planet and blinking stepped into the sun. That's actually uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Still though, I was like, hey, I can do it now. Okay. What a damn opening though. To me, I was like, all right, I could stop it right here. I know. I was thinking the same thing. I was thing. like, all I right, was that's like, enough. You did it in the first 10, you know, less than that even. The first five minutes. It's so tasteful too. I don't know. They just like, it's tonally too difficult for me to like take this movie that seriously. Yeah. Because they like basically realized that they made like a really intense drama wherein a baby loses their father and you see it that they like try to backpedal so far into the dumb comedy realm. The whole like sentiment of Simba growing up with Timon and Pumbaa and being like, I can hide from my problems. Yeah. I think that that is like a worthy idea for his character to just be like, well, I don't have control of what happened to me. And like the, he's having sort of an internal battle of like blaming himself and also being mad at his dad for being gone. I think to me, maybe like the most interesting moment of the plot is the moment where Nala finds him when he's grown up and is like, you got to come back. Timon and Pumbaa being like hurt by that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And him being like, yeah, you should probably go. It's like, but they don't take them that seriously. He just like was basically raised by two gay fathers. I wrote wrote down gay stoner dads. Good for them. You were basically just raised by these, (laughs) these two. Yeah. And then he just like leaves them quickly because they're unserious. I was like... (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's probably like the best, or I thought like the most interesting moment where you kind of don't know where it's going to go. Because that review was very true that like, it's so um, inconsistent Mm -hmm. that nothing feels particularly well-paced or right. (laughs) Yeah. Except for like Scar's stuff. Yeah. Scar's stuff feels properly paced. I mean, it's kind of a fast movie. It goes pretty fast. Yeah. But they gave him the storyline of the century. I know. 
You know how everybody always says he's like the gay villain or whatever? Yeah. Like the whole like the whole Ursula Scar Jafar thing. Gay coded villains are also kind of tinged with like, I don't know, almost being like freaks or it's like they're yeah. outcasts, so they're queer coded. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really know what to make of it. I do think on one hand, it's kind of interesting because it's like, okay, we need to make this person like different and like interesting and strange. So like, let's just make them, obviously they're not like, let's make them kind of gay, but I think it's kind of cool in a way that like the hallmarks of someone being like interesting are also traits that make people kind of fruity. Yeah. <laughs> like I enjoy that. I think that a lot yeah, of the time true. we know that people our age love to claim that characters are gay for sure. Yeah. I think there's a difference between being like a diva and being gay. Mm-hmm. And it's to me, it's kind of more of like a diva. From what I can tell, they pretty much like always cast a gay guy as Scar on Broadway though. And he (laughs) was like super, like he was playing it like super gay when I, the one that I saw. Really? Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. Like he, he was just so like, think, um, Preminger. I knew you were going to say Preminger. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like that. And it was just like incredible. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with it because at least it's good. <laughs> like right. w- without Scar, this movie would be nothing. Although, you know what? No, I'll give some credit to a Simba Mufasa scene too. Yeah. I think that's good to, s- I think that those moments feel authentic. Yeah. Simba, once he's alone, once his father is gone, it's giving nothing. It's giving beige wall. <laughs> So I wrote this down to myself. Is this movie just a masculinity exploration behind a mask of like existential exploration? And I kind of feel like yes, because it's very much like- It definitely is. His mother is alive and they don't, I like didn't even realize it until he grew up and came back and she was like, Simba? I was like, wait, I've- Thought I fully like thought she like wasn't here for some yeah. reason. There's so much missed opportunity with the lionesses what, that they yeah. do explore more, or at least show them more, like on the in the Broadway show. Yeah, like the the lionesses have like a real moment, and they travel like together in this like beautiful way. I read this book maybe six months ago. It's a Bell Hooks book. It's called The Will to Change, and it's about masculinity. And there was this whole chapter about, like, absent fathers and how men with absent fathers, either from death or from, like, just being absent in general, like, becoming an adult and becoming, like, the right kind of man is, like, a perpetually moving target because they don't have a concrete example to, like, aspire towards. And I think it's kind of interesting that in this movie, he kind of opts, in some ways, he like opts out of masculinity altogether. Yeah. By like going to live with his gay dads. He's living like an alternative lifestyle. (laughs) Right. And then like, if you really want to read into it, like the horniest lion of all time, Nala shows up and like turns him into a man. (laughs) 
Yeah. And then he's like, well, I guess I need to go have swag now. And then runs away. I have to go be a man. I unfortunately am not very familiar with the story beats of Hamlet. I don't know how closely that aligns. But if without knowing the sort, like the inspiration, I guess it's like by living his alternative lifestyle, he was avoiding, he was being very avoidant about who he, it ends up being about who he is. But I think really what it, what they should be talking about is like what he went through. Yeah. Um, Instead of like, you need to man up and go be a king now. It should be like, let's come clean about this and like talk about what you went through. Yeah. It's about like men strong arming their way through their trauma. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting. And it also kind of reminds me of like how, how him going to live with his gay dads is framed as him like running away from his problems. It's like, okay, well, he was a child who was told to run away and never come back. Right, who was chased out of, and then was chased out by the hyenas. And she's mad at him. Right, and it's like, I know for me, like, I can totally relate to, like, defecting from society when things get hard, like, during, like, deep COVID or, like, even after, or, like, when my, uh, when I was having, like, my whole seizure era, I was just like, I'm going to sit on my couch and do the bare minimum because things are really hard right now. And I think, that they don't let him do that. Well, he does it in this movie, but then they're like, how could you take time for yourself? Mm-hmm. He needs to go to therapy. And- I was about to say, were you going to say it's not trauma-informed? Just like, yeah, the, the whole strong-arming. Like, what message does that actually send to children, but little boys also? Because yeah, there's no form of resolution between like kind of like him and himself. Like he has no internal resolution. That's like the most um, important thing that he needs to figure out. But instead it's, okay, you've decided to come back. You're going to man up and like kill hyenas and then like be noble and like spare Scar. Yeah. But then he dies anyway. And so it's like, okay, Simba's got the moral upper hand here. He like manned up. He like did what he had to do. Now what? Chucks him off the cliff. And that is family. Like that, obviously he's an awful person. Yeah. (laughs) But like by not, by letting Simba not kill him, they're like, ooh, we really got away with something here because he was like, he didn't kill his family member. But like, yeah, he did. Like he did. Could Scar have been rehabilitated? I feel like yes. He didn't have to die. I think... No. Maybe, but what he did is, like, pretty bad. (laughs) I mean, like... It is pretty bad. Like, to, like, look your little cute baby nephew in the eyes and be like, leave and never come back because I just blamed you for killing your father. Like... Uh, Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Oh, of course, also, I cried during that part. Okay, when when things in movies, like when someone is, when there's like a dead body and someone is like nuzzling or like touching the dead body and like crying, I'm like, I can't. That's too much. Handle this. It's too damn much. His face, Simba's little face, when Scar's like, you killed your father and his yeah. eyes get all wide. 
It's a lot. Ooh. I know. I mean, I'm sure that this movie did have some kind of lasting effect. It might have created fears for some children. Like they weren't afraid of their parent dying. Now they are. Like that kind of thing. Well, it's real. It's a thing that happens. So I don't know. But maybe it could be possible to, like, maybe there's some stories out there of, like, kids whose parent was already gone. Yeah. And then they, like, saw the movie and they were, they felt, like, seen by that. Okay. What do you think of Timon and Pumbaa? If I were to create a Disney's annoying sidekick ranking, they wouldn't be that low. Yeah. Just because they have more plot relevance than most and that's like saying something because their plot, it's not like amazing their plot re- relevance, but at least it exists. Also, you've got like Zazu and the hyenas who are the mo- maybe more annoying, maybe. Except for the Whoopi Goldberg one. Yeah, except for the Whoopi one. So there's just a lot of animals to compare them to in the same movie. Normally it's like a bunch of humans and then annoying animals. <laughs> right, but right, this right, time right. they're all annoying animals. Some of their lines I don't hate. Like, I kind of think that star joke is funny when Pumbaa is like, oh, I always thought they were balls of gas emitting light from millions of miles away. I kind of think that was clever. Yeah, I like that part too. Pumbaa was like, you know what we always say? Like, put your past and your behind. Oh, yeah. And then Timon's like, all right, lie down before you hurt yourself. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was good. I really think it's funny that like the only place I ever hear the word sire ever is in Disney movies. Mm -hmm. Like, I would not know what that is otherwise. Sire, yeah. Okay, Audrey... Did you watch those videos back in the day that were like Disney conspiracy theories? And it's like... Yeah, the drawings. Yeah, like the drawings. Like when mm-hmm. when uh, when Simba sat down in the dust and it like swirls into the night sky and everyone's like, it says sex in the dust. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Do you think though that the fact that they so openly show and ex- kind of explore the tragedy of a parent death is like something that they would never do today. And like, can you respect the movie based off of that alone? Because you know how we, sometimes we talk about that, how like movies for children today tend to steer clear from permanent death. Like they might show some peril, but they're not gonna have, they're likely not gonna have a parent die on screen for real. I mean, of course I respect it. Of course I'm impressed that they did it. I think that, like, that whole section was really brave to do, but it's also, like, what makes it really, like, live in people's minds. Like, that part and the circle of life. Without those elements, this movie would not be even close to the icon that it is, like, within its canon. I can respect it based off of that because now there's a bunch of scaredy cats who are too afraid. They're too afraid to put something like that in there that for the potential that it could cost them money. They're t- they would rather place the safeness of not doing that over like the truth of the sentiment. Like, yes, this happens in people's lives. I feel like that whole thing is so misguided too, because to me- It really is. It's like stick out. Yeah, right. Like do the brave thing. Maybe it's just some executives that are making those decisions. I don't know. But I appreciated it. I like... 
did not remember how overtly sexual can you feel the love tonight is. Like, they get away with a lot because they're mm-hmm. animals, but like, yeah. if you, like, uh, that was a furry awakening I'm, for <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. And also when she, like, licked his face really hard, I was like, oh, my God, okay. Yeah, I was like, oh. It was Not to, like, be, like, obnoxious. Like, if they're going to put death in it, they might as well put sex in it, too. Like, they're they're halfway there. No, you're right. Um, You're right. But they put it in there without actually putting it in there. So, like, when you're a kid, you're watching it, and you're just like, oh, um, what? <laughs> I feel like that is like when people talk about corrupting kids with like the gay agenda in movies. Like that is the straight agenda. And it's also the furry agenda, but it's mostly the straight agenda. So gay dads, <laughs> gay lions, sex with lions, <laughs> death with lions. That's the line. Masculinity King. with lions. An exploration of masculinity and Manning up, if you will. (laughs) With lions. Very boring to me. (laughs) (laughs) Very boy movie. See the musical if you haven't. It's really good. It is. And they give more emphasis to the female characters. So the choreography is beautiful. The costumes are beautiful. It's usually not that expensive unless you go Mm -hmm. at like Christmas or some shit. 10 out of 10 recommend. Yeah. And it's touring a lot of the time, so you could see it in your town for sure. I don't know if it's touring right now, but yes. It's like perpetually touring, I think. When I was sitting there at the show, I was thinking about just how tiring this would be to do day in and day out. It's so physically demanding. The makeup and costume is intense, and it's a kid's show, so it's like, it's fun, but being an adult, doing that eight times a week would be draining. Yeah, totally. Regardless of our personal opinions, it is a timeless classic that does have good songs. Yeah. It does. Especially the beginning. I'm here for the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Despite us bringing a educated, critical eye. Neutrality. Yeah. Educated neutrality. Let's call it that. Educated neutrality. uh, To the table for The Lion King, you should still go see it. Seems like a good time. In theaters, actually, I would be interested to see what that 90s animation looks like on today's screens. Like last night, I saw A Haunting in Venice. <laughs> oh, yeah. In one, in one of those theaters that's like Dolby surround sound. It was way too immersive, actually. I was like, oh, my God. Really? Yeah, because the plot is that there's like a little ghost girl who is haunting the people in the house. And so they would just like insert her voice. Like they'd be talking about something else, but you can hear her singing like in the background. And it was so real that I was like, is there a child in here singing actually? Because it was like placed in a speaker behind, Uh you know, like behind and to the left or whatever. So it just kind of sounded like there was a kid singing. That's um, cool. And it was like faking me out a little bit. I kind of like that. So maybe The Lion King also could be that in yeah, this maybe form. That'll, I don't know. Maybe that'll be the vibe. Maybe you will feel as though you are on the savannah yourself. And who wouldn't want that? <laughs> as always, 
You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, Audrey and Leach on everything. You can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And please, if you want to get in on our game streaming life... Join the Discord server at the link in the episode description or on evergreenpodcasts.com. You can check out our merch at twopingproductions.com slash shop. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. And if you can feel the love tonight, if you subscribe to the personal philosophy of no worries for the rest of your days, send the episode that you just heard to a friend, family member, or rival for the throne of your kingdom and leave us a review on apple podcasts five stars on spotify throw throw us a little love sleepover cinema is a production of evergreen podcasts produced edited and engineered by us hannah and audrey leach sleepover cinema is mixed by sean rule hoffman with theme music by josh perlman hall executive producer is michael dealoya rar <laughs> rar rar xd X D D D D. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.